Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge... My decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. Once more Jesus said to them, I'm going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one who I claim to be. You will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Just what I have been claiming all along, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable, and what I have heard from him I tell the world." They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be, and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. Heather, thanks uh, very much indeed. Do keep your Bibles uh, open. Uh, I think you'll find it uh, helpful to do that. As we go through uh, in these Sunday mornings, um, the the great sayings of Jesus in John's Gospel where he says, I am. And uh, this week, as the reading began, I am, uh, John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Being in complete darkness is a horrible experience. It's only happened to me twice, uh, once, was when I was on a guided tour of the Blue John Cavern in Castleton. Some of you may well have been there. Uh, Deep down in the mine, the guide warned us that he was going to switch all the lights off or have them all switched off, and he insisted that we stand still and not move. And when the lights were switched off, it was so dark, I could not see my hand in front of my face. And if you've been in that kind of situation, you'll know that it is a very unnerving experience, even if it only lasts for a short time, as it did. The other time that I was in complete darkness was really frightening. 
I was working then for what used to be called the Midland Bank. That wasn't the frightening thing, although it was pretty scary. Um, But I was asked to go with a colleague to a huge underground warehouse where millions of documents were catalogued and stored. We were tasked with finding a few documents. It wasn't a difficult job uh, because everything was clearly recorded and labelled. And I doubt I'd have even remembered going to the warehouse were it not for what my colleague and I were to experience while we were going through the files. Yes, you've guessed it, the lights went out. So there I was with a colleague in a huge underground warehouse and there was not a shaft of light from anywhere. Uh, This was long before the days of mobile phones, so we didn't have a torch or any source of light to hand and we couldn't make a call to tell anyone what would happen. And so as I stood there, I could not see a thing, nothing at all. And even though I didn't move, I soon found myself disorientated and as the time went on, frightened. The whole experience only lasted about 40 minutes before the lights came back on, but it was quite terrifying. Now, whether you've been in that kind of situation or not, I imagine most of us, if not all of us, know what it is to be in the dark during a power cut or at night when the main fuse blows in the house or or walking down a street when the street lights are not on. Darkness and even the thought of being in darkness evokes all sorts of emotions, uncertainty, confusion, a sense of being lost, and of course, fear. A light, on the other hand, brings confidence and reassurance and makes us feel safe. You know what it's like when you're in the dark and then the light comes on, you suddenly feel safe. You can see where you're going. Now, we use this language of light and darkness all the time, apart from physical light and darkness. When we're not party to some information, we talk about being kept in the dark. When we think about some of the dreadful things that have happened recently, we might talk about this being a dark world. By contrast, when somebody explains something that we hadn't understood, we might thank them for shedding some light on the subject. Or when we uh, suddenly have clarity about something, we talk about the light being switched on. Now, it is those images of light and darkness that we hear on the lips of Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 12, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And if you like to take notes, then here's the first point. Uh, An astonishing claim, Jesus is the light of the world. This is verses 12 to 18. As you hear those words, isn't that an appealing thought? Never to be in darkness. And never mind appealing, isn't it a comforting thought? To have the light of life, to know where I'm going in life. That's what Jesus is talking about. Uh, Five years ago, some of you remember in this church, we had uh, what we called our One Big Question initiative. So between us, uh, and along with another couple of churches as well, we asked getting on for 1,500 friends of ours and neighbours and colleagues, we asked them this question, if you could ask God one question and you knew it would be answered, what would it be? Uh, The top question that was asked as we asked all our friends was all around the issue of suffering. But the second biggest question that was asked us, and a couple of my friends asked this very question, what is the meaning of life? See, here we are on this blue-green planet, hurtling through space, circling the sun at around 67,000 miles an hour, and we are all doing our jolly best to make the most of it. But for most of us, from the survey that we did, we don't know why we're here or what on earth we're doing, what on earth it's all about. 
we're wandering through life in the dark. And being in the dark makes life and living life and raising a family and all the decisions and questions of life very difficult. And not just at a personal level. In the last few weeks, I've had several conversations a week where people express deep concern about the situation we're in nationally and internationally. This week, someone said to me, I can't remember a time like it. They were referring, of course, to the terrible events in Nice and the attempted military coup in Turkey, this nation voting to exit the EU and the leadership vacuum that followed in the government and the opposition, the shootings in a nightclub in Orlando. And since they made that comment to me, of course, we've heard of the shootings in Munich and 80 people killed in a suicide bomb in Afghanistan. All those things after the terrorist attacks in Paris and civil war displacing millions of people, resulting in hundreds and I believe thousands of refugees drowning in an attempt to reach Europe and a better life. I can't remember a time like it. Global terrorism, global warming, global poverty, global unrest. We're in the dark. We don't have any solutions to this mayhem. And into that darkness we hear these wonderful words of the Lord Jesus. I am the light of the world. And so as we look at this world and as we wonder what life is all about, Jesus talks to us about something that is very appealing. And if it is true, very deeply comforting and reassuring. But that's the thing. Is it true? That was the issue for the Pharisees, the religious leaders who first heard these words of Jesus. They, of course, weren't convinced that Jesus' claim was true. So if you've still got your Bible open, look down to their response. They basically say in verse 13, why should we listen to you, Jesus? The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, here you are, Jesus, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Now, at so many levels, that is a great comment from the Pharisees. They are saying to Jesus, look, anyone can make these claims. Anyone can stand up and say they're the light of the world, but who can verify your claim? I can make big claims for myself this morning. I could stand here this morning and make all sorts of claims. I could tell you that I'm a world expert on the breeding cycle of the tsetse fly. Did you know that? Do you know it's true? I could tell you that I'm related to the singer-songwriter singer Otis Williams. Oh, yeah, okay. Some of you have got it, yeah. Well, he has the same surname as me. Afterwards, over coffee, you'd probably ask others, is what he said true? And not the Otis Williams bit, but the Tetsy Fly thing. You'd ask for witnesses. That's what the Pharisees were saying to Jesus in verse 13. Here is Jesus. Look, just bear in mind, he's just an itinerant preacher with no fixed abode, who didn't have two pennies to rub together claiming to be able to shed light on the big issues of the world. Well, no more than that. that is, it's not that he's doing that. He's claiming to be the light of the world. Jesus is, is not just saying, I, you know, I'm an intelligent person who can tell you what life is about. He, he wasn't just claiming to be able to explain things to us like a, a good university lecturer or a great philosopher. His claim was so much bigger than that. Jesus was claiming to be the very one who made sense of the world. I am the light of the world. Not just I can tell you about it, I am. 
Anyone can make the claims for themselves. So the Pharisee says, now come on, you're going to have to back up your claims, verse 13. Who are your witnesses? And Jesus' answer is remarkable. Supremely confident of himself, Jesus doesn't appeal to anyone else to support his claim to be the light of the world. Verse 14, Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid for I know where I came from and where I'm going. Now, what sort of answer is that? Come on, you've got to have some sort of evidence for this. Well, I'm saying it because I know where I came from and where I'm going. Well, as we read on through the chapter, Jesus explains more of what that means. So uh, flip over the page and you'll see that in verse 23, Jesus says, verse 23, do you see it there? I am from above, speaking to the Pharisees, I'm from above, you're of this world, I'm not of this world. If you look down to verses 28 and 29, Jesus claims to have been sent into this world by God the Father. Remarkable. I've come from outside this world and I'm sent by God the Father, he says. Now again, this is an astonishing claim, but it is a claim that supports Jesus' assertion that he is the light of the world. And indeed, as I thought about this week, this, this week, I realised it is the only thing that Jesus can say to back up his claim to be the light of the world. Uh, the preacher William Taylor illustrates it like this. Imagine you have a pet goldfish called Eric. I doubt anybody does, so you will have to imagine. Anyway, here it goes. Imagine you have a pet goldfish called Eric. Eric spends his days swimming clockwise around his bowl. Each lap takes about five seconds unless he pauses to investigate the rather tastefully decorated Baroque arch you installed for him. Imagine that you have a plan for Eric above and beyond his bowl. Imagine that you've planned for Eric an upgrade, a tank perhaps, or maybe a pond in the garden with a frog for company and even some more elaborate decorations. All of those plans and purposes lie in your mind. And in the humdrum daily existence of Eric, he is utterly unable to work them out. I mean, he is of a completely different order to you. He's constrained inside the limitations of his fishbowl. Don't be thrown by the simplicity of the illustration. For in the same way as Eric the goldfish, we are constrained by the limitations of living in this world and of only ever having known the environment in which we live. No matter how hard we try, we cannot know what is above and beyond this world. We can guess, we can talk about it, we can philosophise, but we cannot know. Now granted, because we are not goldfish, but rational beings, and because God has revealed something of himself in creation, and because he has made us in his image, with a conscience... Because of all of that, at times we might have glimpses of truth from beyond ourselves and come to conclusions that seem to shed some light on the world. But still, for all our efforts, we cannot fully and finally know what is in the mind of God, not just by us trying to work it out. Left to our own thinking, we are constrained by being creatures in this world, constrained by living in this fishbowl. Oh, it is a magnificent fishbowl, but it's a fishbowl all the same. And so for us to know what life is about, for us to be taken out of darkness and brought into the light, we need someone from outside, someone from above, someone who is not of this world to come and tell us and indeed show us what life really is all about. 
And that's why, verse 14, Jesus cannot appeal to anyone or anything else to be his witness. Do you see, here are the Pharisees saying, come on, you've made this great claim to be the light of the world. Who are your witnesses? And he can't turn to anyone else to substantiate this huge claim because none of us are in a position to be able to substantiate his claim. Verse 15, we judge only by human standards. We can only see what we can see. And so, verse 14, we should listen to him because of where he came from. He has come from outside of this world, sent by God the Father. But again, anyone can say that. I could say that I was from out of this world. I could tell you that I was from the planet Splog. You wouldn't believe me because you've never met anyone from out of this world. And I look like a human being. But that was exactly true of Jesus. That was the issue. He was a human being. Why should we believe that he was from out of this world? Again, do we just have to take out his word for it? No, we can look at the things he did. See, turn on one chapter to chapter 9. This is all linked to everything that we're seeing about Jesus being the light of the world, and you'll see why in a moment. Uh, John chapter 9, in verse 1, Jesus encountered, in John chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus encountered a man blind from birth, a man who, if I may put it this way, spent his whole life in the dark. And then look what happens in chapter 9, verse 5. Jesus said again, I am the light of the world. There's our phrase. And verse 6, having said this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. Jesus miraculously gave sight to a man who was born blind to prove that he is the light of the world. We saw the same in, last week in chapter 6. John chapter 6, Jesus claimed to be the bread of life. He claimed to be the one who could satisfy our insatiable appetite for life. And to prove his claim, do you remember? He fed 5,000 people with a few loaves and some fish and they all went away full and satisfied. Why should we believe these great claims of Jesus? Because he did things that were astonishing to back up the claim. Why should we believe that Jesus is the light of the world? Because he came to a man who was in the dark and gave him the ability to see, gave him the light. Do you see, it is quite reasonable to believe that Jesus is from out of this world because he did things that were out of this world. Well, having said that, the Pharisees' question back in chapter 8, verse 13, is still an important question because it appeals to God's law. See, in chapter 8, verse 13, when they're asking for witnesses, they're referring back to the, the Old Testament, God's law in the Old Testament, that demanded that any matter or dispute be settled by two or three witnesses. And Jesus acknowledges that that is an important issue. And so even though he says, you should listen to me because I'm out of this world, he then says, verse 16, but if I do judge, my decisions are right because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness 
is the Father who sent me. What he's saying there is quite straightforward. He says, yes, I know that God's law demands that there's more than one witness. So who can Jesus appeal to? He's just said he can't turn to any human being because we only judge by human standards. We can't see anything beyond what we know. Jesus has to turn to someone from outside of this world as his second witness. So he says, yeah, apart from me, myself, God the Father is my second witness. I won't go into all of this now, but if you want to follow it up, God the Father witnessed to Jesus being the one he says he was in two ways at least. Firstly, at his baptism in sending the Holy Spirit upon Jesus, God the Father declared that Jesus is God the Son. That is recorded for us in chapter 1, verses 29 to 34. And in chapter 1, verses 4 to 9, you can look this up later, God the Father sent John the Baptist to witness to Jesus being the light. Uh, All of that by way of saying that Jesus did keep the law. He had two witnesses. In short then, why should we listen to Jesus when he makes this huge claim to be the light of the world? Because he's come from outside of the world. How do we know that? He has done things that are out of this world to prove that he is out of this world. And on top of that, God the Father has witnessed to him being the light. The first point then, an astonishing claim, Jesus is the light of the world. And secondly, and much more briefly, an uncomfortable truth, we are in the dark. This is chapter 8, verses 19 to 24. We are in the dark. Now, in some ways, that's obvious to us. When we're honest, you know, when there's all the bravado is gone, when we're not trying to pretend with ourselves or with anyone else, we know we're in the dark about the meaning of life. We know we don't have the answers to the wicked darkness that seems to be overwhelming us right now. But sadly, we're not always ready to admit that. Indeed, ever since the Enlightenment, you know, that philosophical movement which dominated the world um, of ideas in Europe uh, in the 18th century, ever since since then, the human race has arrogantly believed that we can kind of work it all out, find answers in rational and scientific discovery. The uncomfortable truth is that we're in the dark about life. And the really uncomfortable truth is that we are more in the dark than we realise. See, it is striking in chapter 9 that Jesus took a man born, born blind from birth to illustrate what it meant for us to be in the dark. When Jesus says you're in the dark, he doesn't just mean, you know, you can't see very well. He means of all of us, we are completely blind, unable to see. And very specifically, unable to see who Jesus himself is. Now that is exactly how this passage goes on, you see. Look at verse 19. Jesus has just said that his father, God the Father, witnesses to him who he is. And the Pharisees ask, verse 19, where is your father? Jesus says, you do not know me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. See the point, the Pharisees can't see who Jesus is. He's just been talking about who he is, about he comes from the father. Who's your father? We have a clue who you are. And they can't see who Jesus is because they don't know God, because they've rejected God. Here is another huge statement from Jesus. He was talking to um, 
Jewish leaders and he says, you don't know God. Can you imagine how they felt? They didn't know God because they didn't know Jesus, because Jesus is the only way to know God and because Jesus reveals God to us and because in dying for us on a cross, he restores our relationship with God. They rejected him. Now have a look back to chapter seven and see how all of this was played out and indeed why Jesus said all these words. See how we reject Jesus, how we can't see who he is. Chapter 7, verses 40 to 42, there is a debate about where Jesus is from. Look at chapter 7, verse 40. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said he's the Christ. Still others asked, how can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scriptures say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? See what's going on there? They're arguing about where Jesus is from. They thought they knew. Didn't he come from here? Didn't he come from there? They thought they could work out who Jesus was. But you notice when you read that, none of them came to the conclusion that he was from above, from out of this world. None of them said, oh, look, he's clearly been sent by the Father. He's clearly somebody completely different. Even those who thought he was the Christ didn't come to the staggering conclusion that Jesus had come from heaven. That is just working out that we judge by human standards. So even when God is right in front of us, God was standing right in front of them in human flesh. Even when that happens, we do not conclude more than he's a human being. Exactly the same happens today. So as I read the Bible with people, I might ask them, so having read the Bible a bit, I might ask them, so who do you think Jesus is? And I get various replies. Some people will say, well, I think he was a good man. And someone else might say, I think he was a great teacher. And others might say, I think he was a prophet. And I might say, is that all? Do you think he he might be anything more? But there's not really much more that comes. And I say, "Well, well, look at the things he did. Look at the miracles he performed. Who do you think could walk on water? Who do you think could make a blind man to see and feed 5,000 people with just a few loaves and fish? And who do you think could raise a man from the dead? Who do you think could do that? And still people don't get it. And I'm not blaming those people. It's because we're all like the man born blind. We're blind. We can't see it. All the evidence says Jesus is from out of this world, but people can't see that he's God. And that is because we're in the dark, blind to the truth about Jesus. And we're blind to the truth about Jesus because this is true for all of us. We've rejected God and we can't see who Jesus is and we don't have the light of the world so we can't make sense of the world. It is as if we're all in an underground mine and the lights have been switched off. And we see the extent of that sinful rejection of God at the end of John chapter 7. See, here are people who are so in the dark that they are prejudiced against Jesus so prejudiced against Jesus that they won't even stick to their own rules when thinking about him look at chapter 7 and verse 45 the temple guards went to the chief priests and the Pharisees and said of Jesus verse 46 no one ever spoke the way this man does see temple guards saying there's something special about this man 
And look how they reply. Verse 47, you mean he's deceived you also? Has any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. You see what's going on? People have come to the, the religious leaders and they say, we've heard something, we've seen something, what he does. Maybe, maybe he's someone special. They say, no. And then Nicodemus pipes up, quite rightly so, in verse 50. And he says these words in verse 51. Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? Nicodemus says, oh, our own law says before we condemn a man, before we write him off, before we don't think that he is who he says he is, we should listen to what he says. We should investigate. We should look at the things he's doing. That's what their own law said they should do. And then, when you do this at home, read chapter 9 and see how the Pharisees refused to do exactly that. They were presented with a man born blind from birth, being given his sight, and they refused to consider the evidence that were right before their eyes. We are so prejudiced against God and against his son, the Lord Jesus, that in our darkness, in our rejection of Jesus, in our bias against God, we won't even stick to our own rules of engagement, of rational thinking. Who could do all this stuff? Oh, and I'm not prepared to believe in miracles. But you want evidence. The miracles are the evidence. Now it is that rejection of Jesus and failure to know God that leaves us in the dark. Not just means we're in the dark, but leaves us in the dark. And in Jesus' words, leaves me in my sin. Which is why the last two verses, in chapter 8, verse 21, he says, I am going away and you'll look for me and you'll die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. And then he repeats it in verse 24. I told you that you would die in your sin if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. You will indeed die in your sins. See, Jesus went away. He died so that we could be forgiven, forgiven for rejecting God and be brought into the light of the world. It is, of course, what Becky and Bjorn longed for little Jacob, that he would come to know the Lord Jesus and know what life is all about and know the light of the world. And it is a wonderful thing to have the light of life. See, these words that we've been considering, and especially when we look at verse 21 and verse 24, these things tell us that the issue we've been considering this morning is not a purely intellectual discussion about the big questions of life and about the evidence of who Jesus is. This is not a purely academic or philosophical debate that can be de de deliberated over a cup of coffee and then left to one side to get on with life or left here in church as we go about our everyday business through the week. Jesus says these are issues of life and death. Get this wrong, you get the biggest issues of life wrong. But get it right, it's a wonderful thing. The wonderful thing of no longer experiencing walking through life in the dark. That's not to say we don't make mistakes, but knowing Jesus is who he is, going through life with the light on, knowing where I'm going, 
When it comes to facing serious challenges in life or making big decisions, the light is on. I'm not scrabbling around in the dark anymore. In raising a family, I know the most important things to teach my children and how to direct them and what to tell them to aim for in life. When redundancy comes and I face serious health problems, I'm not completely engulfed in darkness. The light is on and I can see a way through. And even when facing death, the light is on. For if I've turned to Jesus, the light of the world, I can be sure that when the darkest moment comes and when I am about to close my eyes in death, I will open them again to find myself in the glorious light of light with Jesus, the light of the world forever. And then never to experience darkness of any kind ever again. Well, that is wonderful. That is magnificent. On the other hand, walking through life with the light switched on is a miserable, with the light switched off is a miserable existence. And walking into death in the dark is utterly terrifying beyond comprehension. Let's pray together. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We thank you that you, uh, Heavenly Father, sent from outside of this world the Lord Jesus himself, not just to tell us about the light, but to be the light. We thank you that you've had great mercy on us. In your grace, you've revealed to us who he is, opened our eyes to see light in the midst of a dark world. We thank you that we don't need to be scrabbling around in the dark any longer. We thank you very much that there is not just a reason for living, but hope beyond this life that we may spend all eternity with you in the light forever. Amen.